All right, we're recording. So here we go. Okay. This is Going Boldly, the podcast. Here's your host, Russ, the big guy. Hey, welcome. It is me, Russ, the big guy. And we have a midweek special right now, a midweek surprise. This is a bonus. This is a bonus episode. We have a special guest today, and uh, his name is Robert Griffin. He is a certified small business advisor through uh, Binghamton University, or actually, I guess he's located there. Uh, He can clarify some of this, but Binghamton Small Business Development Center. And uh, also, just to kind of put uh, everything in perspective of where we are here, uh, today is Thursday, January 21st, 2021. And yesterday was the inauguration of Joe Biden and uh, Kamala Harris as vice president, president number 46, I guess that is. So um, Trump just left after four years. Uh, That'll kind of give you a perspective on where we are and what's happening. So, Bob, are you there? I'm here. How are you, Russ? Oh, super. Hey, thanks for coming today. Really appreciate it. Uh, as you no, thanks know, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. As you know, our podcast, Going Boldly, is designed for uh, aspiring entrepreneurs and small business people. And you are the man who has a lot of the resources and knowledge to be able to help those people. Why don't you give our listeners kind of a background on maybe where you know what you're into, where you came from, how you ended up a certified small business advisor with the, yeah, that's, uh, that's the most important part, Russ. SBDC. So, yeah. <laughs> well, we've known each other for a while. I was going to tease you a little bit and ask you where you got your certification from, you know, but, uh, but where did you get your certification? So, uh, so the small business development center, uh, it's a New York organization is part of a national organization. So every state has their own, uh, SBDC central. It's uh, based out of the uh, state capital. Usually it's uh, tied in with whatever the state university system. And in our particular case, it's tied in, tied in with SUNY. And so they have a certification program that they put every advisor through. Um, and they okay. also have an advanced certification program. Uh, it's pretty rigorous. It takes about a year to get a certified as, as an advisor. And it can take up to 10 or 12 years to become an advanced certified advisor. Uh, so it's a, uh, it's actually a very rigorous training program. Now, is that on your uh, trajectory to be the advanced guy in the area or what? You know, I, I'll get there eventually. I'm, you know, it's, uh, I'm just wrapping up my third year here. So well, and you're young you enough. Know. You're young enough. Yeah. I've, I've got some time. Yeah. What led you to this? I noticed that you were, um, you were originally into communications and marketing and, uh, yeah, so it's been a very interesting journey, and and what I kind of tell folks is the the story behind it uh, was I, I went to school at Angelo State University in West Texas, and I uh, got a business administration degree, and what was cool is that I was doing a work study in my office where they put me was right next door to the Small Business Development Center, and the director of that center, his name was Harlan Bruja, was actually a very good friend of my father's. And so, uh, you know, I, I was kind of joking at one point. I think I told my dad, I said, you know, I think it'd be kind of cool to do that, you know, to help to help small businesses. And, you know, fast forward umpty ump years later, and here we are. It's been an interesting journey. I've done a lot of different stuff. I was a U.S. congressional campaign manager at one point, uh, spent some time in uh, at a CBS affiliate doing assistant production and, and news reporting. Uh, you know, I ran a CVB, a convention and visitors bureau, spent you know, 15 years in corporate America, uh, ran a convention center and, you know, and, and now I find myself here predominantly because of my extensive background in management, 
um, at, at, uh, at various levels, including uh, upper level management, as well as uh, extensive marketing background. And, and at the time, they really needed somebody who had food service experience. And that was where my corporate uh, exposure came from was uh, in contract food service. Oh, that's right. So right now you had mentioned you like, you know, you're helping small business people, right? You're doing this, yep. you're doing this, you know, similar track as what I'm doing, but in a different way. In fact, I, I'm hoping that you're going to be able to help me at some point as we grow. And, Anytime uh, you need it, bud. Yeah, definitely. Well, we'll have a conversation after this. <laughs> the podcast is, uh, is working out very well. So I think it's worth, uh, worth some investment here. Uh, I've already been getting feedback from small business people and some others that have been involved and have heard our initial few episodes and the, the feedback is very positive. So that's great. Uh, I really, I really get, I'm really jazzed to help people too. I'm like, I'm one of those helpers without names, obviously. Can you think of maybe one of your clients recently, you know, that had some great results or something, maybe you heard back from them and what kind of message did they bring back to you and what kind of impact did that have on you? It's interesting. A lot of my clients I can't talk about. I mean, what we do I think maybe a little more background on the agency might be helpful for uh, your listeners. Yes. So the the SBDC program was started uh, just about 40 years ago. It went through uh, various phases before it finally ended up here in New York in the early 80s. We're funded by a grant from the Small Business Administration. And that grant comes down to New York. New York matches those funds and then distributes them to institutes of higher learning. And there are 21 centers in New York State. Um, some of them are at private institutions. Most of them are at the SUNYs or at, at the CUNY. And so basically the money is provided to those institutes of higher learning. They run the program on behalf of, uh, New York state and the small business administration. And so part of our promise to our clients is, is two things. First of all, they're going to get, you know, w- world-class advisement at no cost to them. Yeah, And the second thing we promise is confidentiality unless they give us express permission to talk about them. Mm-hmm. So in general, I, I can't talk specifics about sure. most of my clients. However, I, I do have some that I can share some success stories about. And okay. uh, one, of, one of my favorite ones was actually, it was a pretty extensive project, was uh, the acquisition of the relief pitcher uh, by Tabitha Newton. Uh, obviously, longstanding you know, Binghamton icon, been around for a long time, successful restaurant. Uh, owner was ready to retire. He just, he, you know, he'd been running it for a long time and wanted to do something else. And she was a valued employee, knew the business. Uh, it had kind of been her dream to take that over and run it. And uh, it was an extensive process, um, but it was a fantastic process. And it, first of all, it was a good learning experience for me. Uh, because it, it really cemented my understanding about, you know, finance and how important that can be to a business, both during the acquisition stage and during the continuing operation stage, but also, you know, the entire process of going through an acquisition, which was very exciting and interesting. And uh, she could have been happier. Her first year results uh, coming out of that acquisition were spectacular. Um, she was showing some phenomenal sales growth, uh, excellent profitability. Um, you know, her employees and, and her customers were happy and she was doing all of the right things. And I, I continue to this day, uh, to stay in touch with Tabitha on a periodic basis, see how she's doing just because, you know, um, I care about how she's doing and, uh, and that's important to me. And I think she's glad to hear from us. Oh, that's great. So uh, really gave you a good feeling. Obviously, you're into this for more than the paycheck, I guess, is, is really what I'm trying to highlight for you. 
You know, I, I love what I do, Russ. And, and it's funny. I had somebody ask me, he said, why do you do what you do? And I said, you know, I just, I just love what I do. Uh, and helping folks, you know, achieve those dreams. You know, they, they walk in with an idea. And let's just be honest here. 70% of them, <laughs> it's just not going to work out, right? It's, yeah, at least. You know, because the idea isn't feasible. They don't have the financing. You know, the expertise isn't there. It's just not the right market, whatever. There's plenty of reasons why yeah. it doesn't work out. But for the 30% or the 20% or whatever that f- for whom it does work out, that's the reward. Right. You yeah. know, it's helping them be successful. Well, I've got some information on that. I wanted to kind of get a, a, a broad picture, at least nationally, on what's been happening. Bo, I have some stats here, which you probably know these already, but for our listeners, we're going to update them on what's happening. And, you know, jump in anywhere if, you, if there's something that you want to comment on. So national non-farm payroll employment for 2020 declined by 140,000 uh, individuals in 2020. That accounted for 10.7 million nationally. That gives us an unemployment rate of 6.7 percent, which I think is low. I think I always wonder about these percentages. It seems like at some point people give up and give up trying to get unemployment and still are still unemployed and then don't get counted. I'm, I'm not 100 percent. Right. I think that's the way it works, right? Yeah, um, that's, that's exactly what happens. Yep. That's approximately twice the pre-pandemic levels, according to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics. Also, according to them, uh, some of the industries that got hammered last year, leisure, hospitality, private education, government, and that was slightly offset by an increase, which is ironic, professional and business services, retail, construction, transportation, and warehousing, healthcare, manufacturing. So it kind of makes sense, but we're still way down. Um mm-hmm. And according to Fortune, nearly 100,000 businesses that shut down temporarily due to COVID-19 are now closed for good. That's 100,000 businesses. Normally, in a regular year, there's well over half a million. 600,000 new businesses are started each year. According to the Bureau of Labor uh, Statistics, that 20% of them fail within the first two years, 45% fail within the first five years, 65% fail within the first 10 years, and only a quarter of them get to 15 years or more. You know, that's the big picture, and that doesn't dissuade people from starting their own businesses because there are a lot of advantages in controlling your own destiny, your work-life balance. You get to pick the people that you work with. Um, you decide risk versus rewards for yourself. You get to challenge yourself. You get to follow your own passion, which is an important one. And one of the most, one of the big important ones that's equal with that is you really have an unlimited income potential, a potential for unlimited income. Let's put it that way. And that's not something that usually happens when you're employed. There are a lot of other reasons to start your own business, but they also coincide uh, more with even being employed somewhere. So it's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. But um, as you could tell by the increase in business in some of those areas that I mentioned, professional business services, retail, construction, transportation and warehousing, healthcare, manufacturing, there may be others. There are a lot of opportunities there for entrepreneurs. So this is a great time. You know, people who are uh, pro-entrepreneur, um, pro-small business, pro-starting your own business are basically going to say, and any time is a good time. Today is better than yesterday. Yeah, so one of, those, one of the interesting things, there was a study done, I want to say it was around 2011, 2012, by this professor who, um, uh, and I want to say he was out of Mississippi, and, and I, I probably will mess this up just a little bit, but basically he did a survey 
of uh, clients across the country who had utilized SBDC services and state by state went through and, and did an analysis. Yeah. What he found was that 94% of all the businesses that participated really fully with the SBDC in either launching their business or acquiring their business were still in business after five years. All right. Give me the number. Um, give me the number again. It, it was about 94%. Okay. Well, that's pretty good. Uh, based on the statistics I just mentioned, 45% fail within the first five years. Here's the thing. And, and this is one of the problems that I think we kind of run into, especially with entrepreneurs. Yeah. They're, they're so excited. They're energized. They want to get to it. And, you know, in many cases, you know, they don't understand all of the policies, rules, regulations, compliance, things that they've got to deal with. You know, and in many cases, they're also afraid to ask for help. And sometimes they don't want to appear weak. They don't want to appear like they don't know what's going on. And so they're hesitant to open up and be vulnerable to the idea that they don't know everything. And, and that's why we're here is yeah. to help them find out that information that they don't know. And I think it's actually a strength for entrepreneurs who can stand up and say, you know what? I am not an expert in everything. I could use a hand help them make sure that I, I cover all my bases. And that that's one of the things I want to, I think all entrepreneurs need to be aware of is, you know, don't hesitate to reach out for help. Boy, I got to tell you, I, I think that's the most important bit of information that uh, an aspiring entrepreneur or small business owner can get out of this midweek, midweek surprise here, Bob. <laughs> and I can identify with what you said. Totally. I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. Now I, I basically didn't know anything about running a business when I started, when I was a kid, I just started using the talents that I had. I went out and hustled. I asked everybody I could, there was no internet. You know, I read the few books that I could find. Think or Grow Rich happened to be one of them. I asked a few people that I could find who are in my industry. They told me very little because they didn't like the competition. So it was very difficult to get started. And as I grew and grew, I went through different phases of my personality and business business growth and business you know failures and business growth again and that sort of thing. And especially old school, it was very much you sort of create an image and you have to look the part. And boy, you know, you talk about not wanting to be vulnerable and that was 100% then. There's no way I would have gone and asked someone for help. Now that is not conducive to really being able to grow your business. And I actually am at that point uh, now with the podcast. I want to grow this thing. And I know that there are several areas that I'm very weak in. Right. And uh, I think that what you just said was really, really powerful and really encouraged listeners to really hear what you said. So ask for help. It's available the types of services that you offer are just so important, especially when you can help people get the funding they need for uh, expansion or ongoing operations or whatever it might be. Maybe that's a nice segue into what we could talk about next. Some of the things that you would offer, maybe some changes with uh, since COVID-19 has started. Maybe we could walk uh, an imaginary client through kind of the process. Does that make sense or is it too different for everyone? You know, I think we could talk kind of in some some broad terms. Okay. Um, well, let's do this. The very, the very first thing is the entrepreneur has decided to be humble and admitted to him or herself, I need help. I want to grow. I'm going to trust that Bob at the SBDC is the man that's going to be able to help me. Okay. All right. So I call Bob or I 
get on the internet or I, what do I do? Do I make an appointment? And is this similar in other states too? This sort of a similar process? We have listeners all yeah. over the country. That's why I mention it. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty similar process. Okay. I, can, I can speak specifically to how we do it in New York. So it all might right. be slightly different. So they call you or they, they send an email in or to you directly or what happens? So it happens a couple of different ways. Uh, you know, if they reach out to me, the first thing I do is I usually point them to our online request for services form. And the reason why that's important is because the federal government requires that we have the permission of the individual who's seeking services to provide them advice and counsel, right? I can't just do it, right? I have to have their permission to provide them that information. So there's a, it's a, it's a simple form. Uh, sure. The form is actually, you know, nationally, it's, it's a you know, two-page form. It's very simple to fill out. We actually have converted that into an online format in New York State. Many states have. Uh, so once you fill out that form, basically, you know, I guide somebody who reaches out to me personally. You know, fill out yeah. the form and make yeah. sure that in the bottom of the of the page, you ask specifically for me, or if there's another advisor that you want to work with, that you ask specifically. Uh, to work with them. And that way, when it gets routed to our center in in uh, the Binghamton area or in our 12-county territory, we actually cover a sizable footprint. Wow. Um, we make sure that it gets routed to the right advisor. And in some cases, Russ, honestly, it, it also, I think, depends somewhat on the industry. Okay. You know, there are advisors that I think are probably better suited to assisting a construction company than I am. While I know a little bit about construction, I know enough to be dangerous. <laughs> we actually have somebody on staff who who lived that, who okay. owned a construction company. Now, how many yeah, so uh, clients? Let me just jump in real. Ask a question here, real quick. How many clients do does each advisor usually have at one time? Prior to COVID, our normal caseload was anywhere between thirty and forty clients at a time. Wow, that's occasionally, a lot. Occasionally, it, it is. Um, occasionally, it would peak a little higher than that. It depends upon the time of the year, you know, certainly right around the holidays, it tends to ease up a little bit. And then, you know, in the springtime, it picks up. And during COVID, uh, at one point I had 104, but that was an aberration. Um, and I wasn't the only one. I think all of our advisors were carrying pretty close to 90 or a hundred clients at that particular point that we were trying to help. Right. Well, you're just so, trying to get them some stimulus money or PPP stuff. I mean, what you weren't putting them through your normal development process, were you? Um, no, I would say probably, you know, at that particular point, probably 85% of our clients were seeking guidance on how to survive. That makes sense. So right, your online request form, and if they want yep. Bob, they ask for Bob or whomever, is it likely they're going to get that person if it's a good, uh, if it makes sense, if it's a good match? Yep, absolutely. Okay. You, usually if they request me, they'll get me. If they request, you know, Liam or Scott or whoever, you know, anybody yeah. else on our team, they'll, they'll usually get that advisor unless there's some compelling reason not to. And in most cases, it's a conversation the regional director will have with us if there's some reason why she thinks another advisor might be a suitable fit. But for the most part, they ask for me, they usually get sent to me. All right. What happens next? So, you know, once they've contacted me, we schedule a, a meeting. And, you know, uh, in the old days, uh, prior to COVID, it would have been a, an in-person meeting was always going to be the first meeting. Nowadays, obviously, given the situation, things are a little bit different. So, you know, we meet virtually or over the phone. Uh, usually the initial consult is about an hour. And, and if it's a startup, I'm really trying to get a handle on, on their business idea. How much do they know about it? 
Uh, what kind of experience do they have? How much do they know about their market? What are the holes in their business model? Uh-huh. Uh, and, and then based upon that initial consult, we'll build out a strategy for, okay, how do we fill in the holes and try to flesh out what the business model is? And then from there, we also get into a lot of uh, financial education. What are the costs that you need to, to account for in order to start your business? How does your revenue model function? So it, know, so- it sounds like it sounds like you're really not requiring someone to have a business plan f- filled out before they see you. Is that correct? Absolutely not, and and absolutely, and honestly, I'd rather they not. Oh, um, okay. And and here's the reason for that. And this is going to, you know, in, in some places, this would probably get me shot. But <laughs> I, I I personally think that the the business plan as we have traditionally thought of it is a dinosaur. Yeah. I have migrated fully into the camp of uh, utilizing a business model canvas as a way to help develop a strategy around creating the business plan. You know, what I've come to understand about, uh, especially startup entrepreneurs, sitting down and writing a business plan is really hard unless you're already a really gifted writer, yeah. right? You know, the, the, just coming up with it cold is, is really, really difficult. I've never so, finished one. I've tried several and, times and I'm always too busy just like doing things and making money. If nothing else, it shows you the areas that you're weak in that you need help with. Well, I- exactly. And, and, and Russ, the problem that you've had is the same problem that so many startup business owners have. They, they sit down in front of a Word document yeah. and then they get writer's block, right? <laughs> you know, they just... They just don't even know which section to go to next. So the system that I use, the the business model canvas was created by a fellow by the name of Alexander Osterwalder in 2008. And he basically adopted the premise that there were really nine core components to every business model. Yeah. Um, For the most part, you know, with some exceptions, but for the most part, nine basic components. And so this is now taught at the Columbia University School of Business before they teach business plans. The way I've adopted that strategy is I work with a startup client to go through this business model canvas. And then we use that as the basis by which we write and create the business plan from then going forward. It's so much easier for them because the ideas are already on paper. Right. Okay. The hard work is already done. So writing it then becomes almost natural. It becomes easy. That's beautiful. Can you recommend someplace where this business model is available? Google. Okay. All right. Good. <laughs> it, it's actually getting a, a, an immense amount of usage. Um, it's it's nice. being widely adopted. Uh, incubators are using it. The Kaufman Incubator, where my office is based, they use it a ton to help people really understand how does their business model function. Be- All right. So we've got the meeting. You're going to talk about the business model canvas with its mm-hmm. nine parts. A person comes and talks to you has probably thought about many of those already. Some of them. You at least got the germ of the idea. My goal is to try to extrapolate out of them. How do you flesh that out? You know, what fits in each of the key areas okay. uh, as it relates to their business model? And then for those things that they don't understand yet, usually I work with them by, you know, it's going to sound terrible. I basically give them homework. Yeah. Um, you know, they say, hey, go work Makes on sense. your value proposition. And then let's talk about that. But and that's then, great, right? You're a coach. You're helping yeah. them develop that. And that's awesome. So specifics, baby steps, but you're giving them things that are going to be productive. If they're trying to do it on their own, they may be spending time on something that's not going to be applicable. Correct. Perfect. So we got through that. It all sounds pretty harmless so far, Bob. 
<laughs> for the for the scaredy cat out there, right? So you've got the interview. You're going to help them flesh the stuff out. Maybe you're giving them homework. You're going to know the areas that they need help in. Then what? What's yep. what's happening? At some point, we usually go through a customer discovery phase uh, where they really are doing a little more uh, research to make sure that their business idea is viable. You know, as I mentioned earlier, probably 70% plus uh, the folks that we talk to, their business model really isn't viable. Now, I can't tell them that. Yeah. And I'm not going, I'm never going to tell anybody, you've got a crackpot idea. Okay. <laughs> this is never going to work. Like, I'm, I'll never tell them that. That's not my job. My, my job is to help them figure that out on their own. When we go through these exercises, when they begin to understand, oh, well, I, I took my product to 20 customers, 20 potential customers that I believed were my customers, and they all told me it was a terrible product. <laughs> okay, so now you have a choice. Do you go back to the drawing board? and rethink your product? Or do you go back to the drawing board and see, is there really a market for this? And if, if there is, who is that market? And identify them and go talk to them and, and make sure. Because at the very core of it, sure. and the hypothesis is, I have this product or service and somebody wants to buy it. And that's part of the exercise that we typically will go through is try to make sure that they understand who are their customers, are they willing to buy it? How much are they willing to pay? How are they going to pay? Yeah. You know, all of those questions need to get sorted out. And, and sometimes this process can take months. You know, it's not something that's going to be a, a few weeks. If somebody's really serious about this, you know, it takes a while to work through all of the steps to evaluate this. And we haven't even talked about the money yet, Russ. There's the rub. <laughs> because uh, well, one of the things I was going to extrapolate on uh, a little bit earlier when we were talking about business plans, uh, what I've done in the past I guess probably had to do with me just being impatient and being a creative person because, boy, you know, you get it. Is it a creative people? They get the the impulse to do something. It's just you have to do it. It or it takes over your person. So I found that since my past businesses were all based around creativity, that I would get excited and I would just do it and make them happen. And um, meanwhile, somebody else could be making a business plan, but I was making sales and <laughs> building a business. There's some sort of a balance there, or maybe it depends on what your ultimate goal is. Like is how big you'd want your business to be, or I don't know, should somebody just get started? I mean, if it's going to take three months to do all this planning and stuff, why don't you just start your business, spend a little bit of money on it and see if it, see if it gets uh, traction or not. If it doesn't, well, there's a clue. If it does, you got something to build on. I think for some people that will work. Yeah. Uh, for others, it doesn't. And, you know, again, part of what I I tend to find is that, well, let me, let me share with you a story. Okay. So I, I had this client who had this uh, product um, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to try to be as vague as I can uh, yes. while still being relevant, but he had a food product that he had developed, very targeted food product targeted at um, people who had special dietary needs. And one of the things about food products for people who have special dietary needs, especially if they're manufactured, is that they can be very expensive to produce because yeah. some of the ingredients are a challenge to source and, and whatnot. He, he brought his product in and I started working with him. Lovely man. I, I really, you know, a, a fine person. And, you know, my heart bled for him a little bit because I knew it wasn't going to work. Oh, I couldn't. Again, I couldn't tell him that. Yeah. But he brought in his product and, and I. I've got to tell you, it was, it was pretty bad. 
Oh. I mean, the product the product was pretty bad. I said, you know, let's let's take your product and let's get some research done. And we took some product and we got some research done. And and um, you know, the the research came back from uh, some of the folks who tried his product, and and they were pretty brutal. Um, oh dear! Even after that, he still wasn't ready to move on. He still was convinced that this was the right product. By golly, he was going to make it work. He was ready. This is no lie, Russ. He was ready to put his house on the market. He was ready to cash in his retirement oh, to dear. make this happen. Yeah. And so then I finally said, all right, I'll tell you what, let's run the numbers on the revenue model. Let's figure out how this is going to work financially. And he told me what his cost of goods was in the product. And we ran the numbers and we came up, basically it came down to this. In order for him to be able to earn a living, and, and we're talking just to survive, we're not even talking to to grow himself, to, you know, in, enhance his wealth at all. Sure. Just to survive. He was going to have to work, um, I think, something on the order of 273 hours a week <laughs> manufacturing, packaging, and distributing his product in order to be able to do that. Yeah. And I, I'll never forget the phone call after I sent him the, the numbers and he calls me up and he said, Bob, I hate you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, said, I said, well, I'm, you I understand. His, you saved his house. <laughs> in reality, that's exactly it. I did in a way. And yeah. he called me back a couple of days later. He said, I'm really, I really don't hate you. I said, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I know. I know. I said, but you understand why I showed you that number. He said, I do. He said, and thank you. He, he said, thank you. Because I, I was going to make a really grave mistake. And I guess why I share that story is that as much as he wanted to just rush headlong into it, yeah. that process of really making sure that his product was viable was so important, not only from a consumer perspective, uh, which I was concerned he was going to ignore, but a financial perspective. Uh, and, and, and once you put the two together, it wasn't a viable product. And, and in many cases, as good as the idea may be, as much as we may believe in it, Unless you've done the work behind it to understand how it works financially and whether your customers really are willing to pay what it is you want them to pay, what you should be making off of this. You need to know that before you jump in. Gosh, yeah, there's so many variables. And even even when they're all aligned with the perf perfect success for your business, it still may not work. Correct. You don't want to go all in on something that doesn't look like it's going to give you the best. It's going to have the, the best opportunity for success. I mean, if there's too right. many red flags, why do it? So it's interesting that you that you said that. I have a, a similar story. The reason that I have met some of these similar people is because I used to do graphic design work and I would meet many businesses. Maybe they hadn't quite been born yet, or maybe they were up and running, but in the development process for some reason. So I remember one specific company that was looking for some graphics and I think some sign work at the time. And I spoke to the gentleman. It was an exercise, a gym, like a, a gym. I guess it was a gym. He was doing it with his wife, had a new facility. They were spending money on, you know, all the things that the businesses spend the money on. And so I was talking to him, getting some information so that I could develop some things that would be in line with what they were doing. And uh, I said, well, how long have you been in this industry? And he said, well, I'm not in the industry. And I said, oh, okay, well, 
you have some other businesses? No, I work for so-and-so. I go, okay. So your wife, how long has she been in the industry? And I think it was a few years or something like that. And I go, oh, okay. Um, you know, has she, has she owned another, another gym somewhere else or, you know, run a place or whatever? And she goes, no, she teaches aerobics. And so I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And I didn't get the feeling like they were, you know, I just got that bad feeling. <laughs> I almost felt bad doing work for him because I just, I just had that gut feeling like this is going to be another statistic. And years later, I actually bumped into this guy and I said, hey, how's it going? What, you know, is your business running or not? And, you know, I didn't know at that time. He said, no, it shut down after whatever amount of time. And, and without, without even inhaling, he goes, and we almost lost our house. Oof. And I'm like, oh, geez. You know, and these are people that, again, they're putting their retirement in, they're putting their savings in, they're doing second mortgages on their homes. And it just seems like such a dangerous, a dangerous way to go. You know, well, unless, and, and, you know, unless yeah, you, no, your partner no, is like Elon Musk or something, you know, where <laughs> even if he loses, he wins, you know, <laughs> and he's brilliant. You know what I mean? I mean, those, yeah. those those people are few and far between. Most of us are just our ordinary citizens who have, you know, who don't want to keep working for somebody else. I guess that's probably the bottom line. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, and don't misunderstand me. I, I mean, I think the beauty of being an entrepreneur is that the best entrepreneurs are the ones who are willing to take the risk. I'm simply suggesting that it should be a calculated risk. I love it. Uh, yeah, because then it's not a gamble. Entrepreneurs right. are okay with risks, right? Yeah. But the gambling part's not good. Right. That's, that's not good. All right. Well, I think we've covered quite a bit. And sort of my goal was to kind of get a, a feel for what's going on and to offer some information to entrepreneurs so that they understand that there is a resource available to help. And there are a lot of opportunities opening up right now in other industries because we've had a huge upheaval. I mean, I can uh, identify with the fact that it, it is hard sometimes to ask for help. I mean, I've been humbled so many times now that I'm like, if somebody wants to help me, <laughs> please, I'll take it. You know what I mean? If you're going to be an entrepreneur, just you got to get used to getting punched in the face at least once a week, if not every day. And, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk's pretty famous for saying, you know, getting punched in the mouth every day. And it's true, or maybe multiple times a day, but that's the way it goes. So we've got some good information from you, Bob. I thank you very much. Uh, just oh, the last welcome. thing. Yeah. The last thing before we close up here, do you want to talk very specifically about what's happening right now? Since I did mention we're at this point in time, based on what I heard Fauci say, Dr. Fauci say today, he's talking about possibly by the end of summer, everybody being vaccinated and, you know, kind of like the end of the disaster, I guess. So if that's the case, where are we? Midway? There's a new stimulus thing, hopefully with Biden. I'm not really sure even what the terms mean. So can you kind of explain a little bit about what each thing is? There's stimulus money, There's there are grants, are there loans, are there PPP? What is that? Yeah, so um, it, let me take you just a quick step back and talk about just kind of how our center was involved uh, okay. as really the, the, the first responders for small businesses in our region. Can I ask uh, one more question before you go too yeah, far in that? And, Absolutely, is, yeah. and what you're going to talk about, is that specific to New York or is that federal, is that across all the states? I'm, I'm just going to focus on our 12 counties. Okay. Um, you know, the, the, uh, I don't have the full national numbers, but, right. but I can definitely talk to our particular area. But as far as services you know, and, and things that are available, um, are they coming through a federal program through the states to the a variety? To, okay. A variety. And, and this is, I, I guess the messaging again, knowing you have a national audience, I understand that there's yeah every county, every state, every region, you know, is going to have differences, you know, based upon how they're set up with regard to an economic development perspective. Right. Um, 
know, if you've got industrial development agencies, local development corporations, municipal development corporations, um, and, and whatnot, they may have access to different programs. And in, in each of those cases, SBDCs across the country have access to those. Okay. In, in our particular case, you know, we helped over a thousand businesses, which is about, for us, it was about a 400% increase in client load in, in a, in a three month period, um, that resulted in over a thousand businesses that we helped through COVID-19 in 2020. We helped them, you know, gather more than $53 million of aid. We were the second busiest region in New York state and second only to Long Island, which should put it somewhat into perspective. Yeah. And that was a mix of things. It was PPP round one. It was economic injury disaster loans. It was uh, specialty loan programs offered by municipal and regional economic development organizations. There were some grants. Um, grants were limited. They were few and far between. They were hard to come by, but there were some. So where that leads us to is we're now kind of going into what I am hopeful that what the health experts are saying is accurate, that we can, you know, expect to be on the downside of this come summer. In the meantime, businesses need to survive. And yes. so that comes yes. in a couple of different flavors. Um, PPP second draw is uh, is now available. And PPP for stands for, for, so people don't know. Oh, very good. Paycheck Protection Program. Thank you for keeping me honest, Russ. Yeah. Uh, Paycheck Protection Program first draw is still available for businesses who did not get it in 2020. Advisors at the SBDC, you know, or SCORE, or some other organizations can certainly help you walk through the details on that. There, there's, you know, quite a bit of stipulations to both first and second draw. Uh, businesses who did get a first draw PPP loan who used it appropriately uh, and 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 uh, are ready to file for forgiveness or who have filed for forgiveness on the first draw can apply for the second, provided that they saw at least a 25% decline in their revenues uh, from 2019 to 2020. The Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program is going to be reopening. Uh, we don't know when yet. That hasn't been released as of today. We, we haven't heard exactly when that's going to be available. In addition, um, and as you had mentioned earlier, you know, the hospitality industry has been absolutely hammered by this. The uh, Shuttered Venue Operators Grant Program is also coming online. There's about uh, $2 billion in that fund. Uh, available for theaters, other entertainment venues who've seen substantial declines uh, in revenues uh, in 2020 compared to 2019. Uh, those grants are expected to be unveiled probably in the next two weeks uh, and could supply as much as 45% uh, of their 2019 revenues to those venues, both nonprofit and for-profit venues are eligible. A number of economic development agencies still have access to money through federal community block grant programs and other programs. Um, you know, Empire State Development in New York has some, uh, some additional uh, low-interest loan programs, as do other state organizations out there that have managed to free up funding from various sources in order to provide relief for small businesses. So there, there are opportunities out there. Again, they vary widely based on regions. So I would encourage you to reach out to your advisors and, and get some help identifying what you can qualify for. Great. So it sounds to me like the Small Business Development Center is the clearinghouse for all the information you're going to need. And depending on, you know, depending on your area, right? Depending on your state, your counties, 
They're going to know what is available that makes sense for you as a business owner. And uh, now what about uh, stimulus grants and, and the payroll protection and stuff? Are those only for existing businesses who who lost, who had to lay off employees or are trying to retain them? Or can uh, new businesses use that if, you're an, if you haven't hired anybody yet? Can you use that money and actually go hire people who are out of work? It is not for startups. Um, the intent behind the program was to uh, keep the doors open for existing businesses and keep existing employees on payrolls. That was the intent of it. For new startups, you know, the, the old-fashioned route of reaching out to a lender is still the way to go. I'm going to be honest, it's going to vary depending upon the region. Some regions who have been harder hit, uh, lenders may be a little more hesitant to loan to startups. Um, I have not found that necessarily to be the case here, except that in, in particular industries. So if somebody walked in and said, oh, I need a $500,000 loan to start a restaurant, probably going to be a tough sell for a lender today. Now, three or four months from now, that may not be the case. Lenders are still lending. Uh, I've got a number of startup businesses right now that are in progress of obtaining financing from local banks. I have a number of projects that are ongoing that are getting funds from economic development agencies through their low interest loan program. So there, there is money available. It doesn't have to come through one of these federal stimulus programs because these are really designed primarily for existing businesses. All right. Well, you've opened up my eyes to a couple of parts of this whole process. It sounds like it's a good deal for somebody who really is um, looking to get some help. Again, you have to be willing to humble yourself a little bit and say, hey, I'm not good at this part of my business, right? Or I'm not good at uh, this particular thing. It's not exactly in my wheelhouse. Maybe get some, some coaching and consulting from someone like Bob. Uh, or someone who is in your local SBDC office who can help you out. I think that's great. So I know I'm going to be uh, reaching out to you, Bob, because I have some I have some things that I want to get done in the future. So, Bob, is there anything else that maybe we didn't cover that you think is important to say or a summary? One of the things that I have learned um, that was very telling, as we, and, and this really exposed, I think, a, a huge weakness in small businesses to me, that I kind of sort of knew was there, but it, it really hit home is financial literacy. And what do I mean by that? One of the problems that I saw that small businesses struggled with when it came to things like applying for grants or some of these specialty loans or whatever was how poorly kept their books were. They hadn't done a good job filing their taxes. They had worked so hard uh, with their tax accountants to hide money and show a net loss in order to avoid a tax burden. And in many cases, it left them ineligible for certain programs. I would strongly encourage for businesses who have not done so, get an accountant or reach out to us to help coach you. Because if there's one thing that I saw time and time and time again, it was some real struggles business owners had with good accounting practices. And it's a killer. Um, it, it really hurt some people, I think, very badly. And it exposed for me a substantial crisis that we have in the small business community is, is the lack of financial literacy and anything I can do to help anybody understand better. And I'm hoping that this message helps somebody wake up and understand, you know what, maybe I should have a conversation with somebody. Again, no shame in it, but I'm, I'm begging business owners out there, if you don't have good systems, get it. 
That's great advice. And again, yeah, you said no shame in it. And honestly, I think that's one of the biggest, the biggest hurdles. I, you know, I can identify that in myself, maybe more so when I was younger. The more time that you spend in the trenches, the humbler you can get. You know, you have to have a little bit of ego. You have to have a little bit of that a little, a little bit of swagger somewhere, a little bit of uh, overconfidence to be able to, to be able to really, you know, survive. Uh, again, you're just getting punched in the face constantly trying to run a business. So, um, you know, it's kind of runs, it runs counter to maybe the natural inclination of an entrepreneur to ask for help. Last question for you, Bob, if someone wants help from their local small business development center, do they just Google like, small areas local small business development center or is there a national number or website or like what's the first step for them well there's there's two sources you know just going to google and say you know small business development center usually will call up the one closest uh to where they are searching from okay you can also go to sba.gov and then probably there's an online request for services form or or they're going to obviously where in your local area they're going to tell you what you need to do next when you find that yeah, in the local area, they'll 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 explain that to you. Usually, you'll find it on a website where you know they make it pretty easy for you to be able to request services or at least call the center uh, in order to be able to find out how to connect with an advisor. All right, well, that's super. All right, well, I think that that brings us to the end of our midweek surprise here with Robert Griffin. He's our certified small business advisor with a local small business development center. We've learned a lot today. If you are an entrepreneur or an aspiring small business owner. Uh, you are probably listening to this, wanting to learn and uh, grow and figure out how to build your dreams a little bit easier, right? And uh, get the skills that you needed. So hopefully that we provided that for you. Bob, we're going to the show closing now. Thanks again. Thank you, sir. That concludes another episode of Going Boldly. Let me know how I can make this show even better. Leave a comment. Send me a DM. I read everyone personally, and I do my best to respond to each and every one of them. And I'm certain you know at least one person who needs this podcast. There's some information in it that we have value to that person, so please share it with them. Subscribing means you will not miss an episode, and it will be easier for me to schedule guests because I can show them that the audience is growing. So please, subscribe. It will benefit us all. As a thank you, I'll be awarding prizes. And to keep you on your toes, the winners will be randomly selected from names I find in those comments, DMs, and subscribers. Prizes might be Going Boldly merch or products supplied by my guests or just something random and fun, but you have to comment, DM, or subscribe to be eligible to win. And finally, this is Russ the Big Guy saying thanks for listening. Go boldly, keep at it, and wash your hands.